1: really encouraging uh, Bible studies. There's so many of them in Samuel, but this one uh, is about a God who is so gracious and so kind. Uh, When we turned back to Him, it's as though we'd never been away, and tonight we get to see that demonstrated in King David's life, so that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. tomorrow paula will be live in the studio with me it's the date day edition of the program so ladies it's a day that we set aside for you paula had an interesting question that was sent to her and we're going to talk about that among other things in tomorrow's program so that's our plan for tomorrow once more three four zero ninety five eighty five here is a question that was sent in from our mobile app wait a minute i'm being told wait um, oh, nope! I've got somebody on the line. I'm sorry. Alan from New Brumfels. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, you and I met uh, about a year and a half ago out in front of Multimedical, and I gave you a gift, oh. a gift to one of your um, uh, one of your members who's a police officer.
1: You I do remember. I I do.
2: Well and okay, well good. <laughs> I thought about this a little bit more, um the other day. Y'all had a police officer call in and I've been just meaning to call mm-hmm. in quite a bit, um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but one thing is to just encourage police officers because um I don't know if I should mention names of, of the one that helped, but the the one that helped uh that I had the gift for, um was truly a blessing. really, really a blessing. Uh mm-hmm. In the situation that we went through, and again, I don't know how much uh, detail I should get into, but I really hey, just really. Yeah, Alan,
1: to you can you can share you that. can share your heart you can share your heart if you'd like to whatever you want to feel like sharing. It. Uh, that, that gift was delivered to the police officer, and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was appreciated.
2: Well, and and uh, you know what happened was uh, my my son was not arrested, but he was um, basically taken into custody during that situation, and it just broke my wife's heart. and And the officer was you know, more than happy to give her a hug and <laughs> and stuff. And like saying, and just something told me at that time that you would know her i don't know why yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but she also had called um the other two gentlemen that uh, that you did the ride along with and i knew mm-hmm. that you knew them from listening to your show and um and so that that kind of uh uh was an encouragement but i i just really you know first of all wanted to uh to bring that up that um you know christian police officers whether male or female you know are are a blessing are really a blessing to be out there mm-hmm. um and, and just for your information and for, for her information, um, my son's doing a lot better. He he's still went through some, some rough times and, and stuff, but right now um, he's, he's doing a lot better. He's um, given us our grandson and, uh, and a few other things, but he's doing a lot better. Um, Good. And then the other thing I wanted to, to mention is um, I've been listening to you and Paul ever since you all uh, started on KSLR. And on my way home, almost every day. And um, today is my last day to be driving home and being able to listen to you, because I'm I'm getting ready to move to Alaska. <laughs> and uh, oh, so really? so uh, I, yes, and it's just really like almost breaking my heart that I'm not going to get to hear y'all. Other than I guess I'll try to stream <laughs> you uh, from from there. And,
1: uh, well, and uh, we're online every day. You can listen to us live at kslr.com. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it'll be a different time frame for you. Where in Alaska are you mm-hmm. going, Alan?
2: Um, very close to Nome. Um, really okay. virtually out in the middle of nowhere into a very small village. Um, I'm actually a, a teacher, and um, that's where I started teaching uh, 22 years ago, and my wife and I moved back here 16 years ago. And it's just been uh, something and which leads me into the other comment I was going to make, and don't let me ramble <laughs> on here too much, <laughs> is... Um, uh, my wife encouraged me to go ahead and take this job, um, mid year. And at the beginning of November, I said, I am not taking a job mid year, but I believe you're the one that has said when people say, how do you know it's God talking to you? And you say, well, if it sounds like your wife's voice, <laughs> it <probably is>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't, it, it doesn't so, does my house, Alan, for sure. <laughs> yeah.
2: So anyway, that was the beginning of November. I said, no, I'm not going to take this job mid year. And, um, by, uh, the Monday before Thanksgiving, I had a contract, and, um, and so I finished out my, my uh, semester here, and uh, I'll be heading up there at the end of this month. So,
1: well, good. If you, if you okay. get anywhere, I don't know the geography there well enough to, to tell, but if you get anywhere mm-hmm. near South Anchorage, we just planted a church there a few yeah. months oh. ago, and we sent one of our best pastors out there, and he and his okay. wife are just doing a great, great job uh, in South okay. Anchorage. It's actually CCSA there, too. It's Calvary Chapel of South Anchorage. His name is Samuel okay. Vargas, and you can okay. find him and just tell him I sent you.
2: Well, and I'll actually be arriving um, Sunday morning, the thirty first. And whether I'll oh. have enough wake up time to, to actually be in Anchorage, but then I'll, then I'll be leaving the next morning. So I'm just going to be passing okay. through Anchorage. So, well. but uh, but it, it's been a pleasure listening to you. And again, that y'all, just you know, I'm always telling my wife, oh Pastor Ron says this, and he and Paula that, and uh, and stuff. So uh, I really um, have appreciated the last few years of, of listening to y'all.
1: Well, thank you, Alan. God bless you, and uh, I'll be praying for you and for your son, and uh, just check in from time to time so we know you're okay.
2: Okay, I sure will. Take care, and God
1: bless okay. you. Okay. Thank you, Alan. God bless you. Uh, we got a couple calls, so I'll go right to those. But before I do that, um, uh, Alan reminded me when he talked about police officers, uh, the police officer was a woman in question, and she um uh, she was so kind, and we really need to keep our police officers in prayer. So I, I want to to just give a shout-out to uh, um, Ernie and Joe. Uh, we love you, and our prayers are with you daily. And uh, thank you for representing. Three four zero ninety is a caller from Bandera, Texas, Renee on line 2. Renee, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, I love your testimony. You know, you said... Father,
3: she waited for me thirteen years. Father, she waited for me thirteen years. I just love mm-hmm. your testimony. You know what I'm saying? Oh, thank I you. Wanna, I want to I say something. You know, um, I live in Bandera, Texas. Um, when I had one husband, he was Alfred George Mocavero Sr. He started Southwest Airlines Magazine. He died, and I had one fiance Eric, and then he died. And then when he died, he left all everything to me. And now these children, they won't help me. They won't. And these marshals and these policemen, they won't help me. Oh, and she's all alone. She got no kids. you know, I got Jesus. You know, Mm. you know when um, Jesus says the trials that you go through, John sixteen thirty three, but I'll be with you. You know what I'm saying. Everything yeah. that I've been through, it just gets me closer to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? These men they want to get listening, no, oh, I'm all about Jesus. I'm all about Jesus. And then Ron, I think about you. Polly, she waited thirteen years for me to go around. <laughs> and then I've been listening to you for a long time, you know what I'm saying?
1: Aww. And then Paula she
3: said, Oh, Paul said, um, Paula, she waited for me, she waited for me, and then you got children, then I don't have children, but you know what, I got Jesus, you know what I'm it's saying, like, when do you think that they're going to get it, when do you think they're going to get it, and then and I, I come I, home and they yeah. say, Jesus, Jesus, look what we did today, but um, Jesus, you did it, I didn't do it, but um, yeah. Jesus, you did it, you know what I'm saying, and then
1: yeah, I mean, Renee. If, if you if you don't mind, Renee, I would like to I would like to pray for you. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, our sister Renee, and um, would you give her peace? Wrap your arms around her and hold her so close, Lord, that when she says, "I don't have anything, but I've got Jesus," that that you will be enough. We ask, oh God, that whatever her problems might be. We ask that you would give her comfort and a peace that passes understanding. This week that we celebrate your birthday, Jesus, would you bless her abundantly? Amen. Renee. Thank you. We had Dell calling from San Antonio. Dell, uh, if you can call back, we'd love to have your call. I knew you couldn't uh, couldn't hold on, so uh, we'd love to have you call back. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question that I started to open with from our mobile app from Wayne. He said, "In Ecclesiastes three twenty one, is Solomon saying that animals can go to heaven, or could go?" Or could go, or could go to heaven. No, he's not saying that at all. Let me read the context there. And again, for you, Wayne, and, and everybody else out there, when you're reading the poetic books, the poetic books of Job, the Psalms, Proverbs, um, uh, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. When you're reading the poetic books, um, they're, they're not books that we make doctrine from. They're great principles to live by. They're general rules of thumb. But generally, what the um, poet is doing is writing a series of contrasts proverbs is just a perfect example um, the, the righteous do this the, the the wicked do this and so there's a series of contrasts in ecclesiastes and i had an ecclesiastes three question yesterday as well wayne um, he, he's simply saying that, you know, time passes. We, we, the, the question that we had yesterday dealt with the, uh, for everything, there's a time, there's a season. I, I mentioned the song by the birds that uh, was um, a, a monster hit. It was huge when I was growing up uh, during the hippie movement. Um, uh, and, and it sounds so beautiful. But what Solomon is doing is just sort of repeating um, um, hopeless situations. Uh, This is monotony, time for this and time for that, and then there's a time for this and time for that. It's not meant to be beautiful. It's meant to express the, the uncertainty. And if we go back a couple of verses to chapter 3, verse 19, he's simply saying, man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. And the context here is that everything is meaningless apart from God. And what he's doing, he's looking at his life and he's saying, here I am. I have all these advantages and it means nothing. But he's describing those times, Solomon is, when he was walking away from God, when he was disobedient to God. He says, all go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust I'll return. Who knows if the spirit of a man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth uh, and then he closes this chapter by saying, So I saw that there's nothing better for man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot, for who can bring him to see what will happen after him? What he's talking about is the futility of this life. Apart from being with God and serving God, this is futility. This is not meant to suggest by any stretch of the imagination that animals might go to heaven or could possibly go to heaven. He's simply saying, you know, man dies, man dies, Uh, animals die we're all the same and that's when he comes up with his theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes all is meaningless all is meaningless so Wayne I hope that answers your question again for all of the listeners in the audience be very very careful about um, forming doctrine based on the poetic books because that is not their intention at all here is a question from anonymous. this is a tough question. Um, he or she says, why is there no discussion in church about the issues of our country about the issues our country is facing with sex, sexual harassment, or even candid talk about what singles and frustrated married people are supposed to do with their sexual energy Anonymous um, you know church is a place. this is important. Church is a place where we come to learn about Jesus. Now, Jesus is the source to whom we run. Now, that doesn't preclude discussions about these things. But, but church is not the place um, to, to solve these problems. Church is a place to introduce people to Jesus and for those that already know him, to teach them more and more about him. And what I want to do, and I'm a pastor, and I get asked these questions not just on this radio program, but of course uh, from people in our church all the time, Um, um, my job is to show them Jesus. My job is to teach them to go to Jesus. And discussion that is focused on getting an answer or solving people's problems really is fruitless if that discussion doesn't begin with, what would Jesus do? What does Jesus say in his word? So I think we've got a, a problem with our perception of church. Um, we, we, we want to go to a church that's relevant. Uh, churches all want to be relevant. Um, my argument has always been that there's no more uh, relevant position to take than to teach the Bible, period. The Bible, the Bible, it's all about Jesus, and so that's what we do. Now, these are questions that we really, really need to discuss amongst ourselves. But first and foremost, as Christians... We need to take these issues to the Lord. What is his take on these things? Now, I can tell you the issues our country is facing with sex are self-inflicted wounds. We have so demeaned sex, and I've got a related question coming up next, but we've so demeaned the sexual relationship, we've, we've gotten to the point where we're like Israel during the time of the judges. We do what feels right or what seems right to us. And so what we've done is we've taken sex and cheapened it. It's no longer a gift from God for us to use to glorify God on His terms. Sex is a, well, if it feels good, do it culture that we live in. And, and um, you know, the, the problem is that we're not supposed to be controlled by our lust. We're supposed to be controlled as Christians, anonymous by our commitment to Him, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you say at the end of this, what are singles and frustrated married people supposed to do with their sexual energy, um, sex is a gift from God. It's, it's it's to be used only for God's glory. Now, that doesn't mean it's not fun, it's not passionate, it's not exciting. In fact, I often talk about a holy lust which pleases God. I talk about that often in premarital counseling. I always wait till the last counseling session to do it, but... Uh, our sexual energy, we need to have our energy focused on Christ. And then everything we do, including sex, is better when Jesus is preeminent in our lives. But because we've been raised in a, in a world, in a culture that says we need to be happy, we need to satisfy ourselves, when we're tempted, we just give in. We live in what the kids call a hookup culture where sex is meaningless. And so what we we have to do is we understand as a Christian that's not the way we're supposed to view this world. Our minds, according to Romans chapter 12 verse 2, are to be renewed so that our lives can be transformed. And renewed means new thinking. We've got to reject, utterly reject this thinking from the world that says that we owe it to ourselves to be happy. If you are single, what you're supposed to do with your sexual energy is ask God for the gift of celibacy that doesn't mean forever, but while you're single, God will give it to you. I promise God's grace is sufficient. It was sufficient for Paul when he was under physical attack, but his grace is sufficient for us when we're under sexual temptation as well. Now I understand I'm married for a hundred years and and you single people are thinking, well, it's easy for you to say that well. God will give you grace. Is there anybody in this audience who is a born-again Christian who doesn't really believe that to honor God, to obey God, He will give you the grace and the power of His Spirit sufficient to enable you to please Him? You see, that's what we need to deal with. We need to deal with how to be single. We need to deal with pursuing personal holiness instead of, being exposed to the sex messages all around us. I can tell you point blank, Anonymous, the one thing uh, that is for sure true, if if uh, you're dealing with sexual temptation and you're being tempted by pornography, that's the nature of the next question that we have, or any of the other things, well, you're not going to be able to stand. It's only in the power of God are we able to say no to ourselves. We have made sex an idol. And come to think of it, that's nothing new. That's what an Ashteropol was. It's where they were worshiping the goddess of sex. That's what the temple of Artemis or Diana was all about. That's what Venus or Aphrodite worship was all about in the ancient world. So our Bible writers understood they were exposed. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he was writing to a city that's so wicked. And sex was all around. The temple dedicated to Aphrodite there always had a thousand temple prostitutes available for so-called worship, male and female. And it was out in the open, it was brazen. So Paul dealt with the same things that we're dealing with, and he told us to take thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. So when we have this sexual energy that you talk about, when we're tempted, we've got to take those thoughts captive to honor the Lord. Is it satisfying? For a lot of you, it won't be. But once you find out Jesus is enough, and that by saying no to you, you can say yes to him, you're going to find out it's much easier than you think it is. Let me deal with one other question here that you said, the sexual harassment, that these issues that are coming out of the word work literally every day. Honestly, there's nothing that we as Christians can do about it except don't participate. You know, as a Christian, it's sin to flirt with somebody you're not married to. Now, if you're interested in somebody and he or she's interested in you. Dating and flirting is part of the process. I understand, but for Christians, there's always a purpose. Let's find out if this is intended by God forever. So again, I'm not anti-dating. I'm not trying to come up with some legalistic thing. But when we who are men—again, I'm talking to Christians primarily—when we who are men are looking at women in inappropriate ways. We have a responsibility, not just to the woman, but mostly to God, not to do that. The Apostle John says to look at younger women like our daughters, and women our own age, like our sisters. And I understand we're not going to do that. We're not going to think of them, but we're to treat them that way. And almost exclusively, at least thus far, the men who are being exposed for these terrible deeds have nothing to do with Jesus. So we've got to protect ourselves. Our flesh is no better than unsaved flesh, so we've got to protect ourselves. But we who are men should never, ever mistreat a woman just because we can't. I had a question earlier this week, and we've got just a couple of minutes left, I think, in this half of the program, so I'll take this to the end. We'd love your live calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We had a a, a caller earlier um, this week about um, these kinds of issues, and what we have to understand is that we have a responsibility, wherever we are and to whomever we're speaking, to represent Jesus. The caller earlier this week wanted to know, or it was an email actually, wanted to know about pastors who'd committed adultery, would they be permitted back in the pulpit? I personally believe that if a pastor commits adultery to some with somebody in his church, or commits adultery, period much is given much is required Jesus, um, certainly returned to Jesus but I think that disqualifies him from the pastoral ministry. Um, I, I'm not the arbitrary arbiter of that but, but that's my own personal view. If I were to treat women that way, uh, I would expect that God would have me step down. and if I refused to do so he would expose me. That's what's happening now. people are being exposed. So in our narrow audience here of Christians, understand that our standards are completely different, Anonymous, completely different. And frustrated married people need to get right with God. They need to work on their marriage. They need to understand that if their marriage is displeasing to the Lord, it's their responsibility to change, to fix it. And then they have a healthy outlet for their sexual frustrations. Anonymous, I hope that answers your question, but it doesn't end in church because that's not our job. 340-9585 for your live calls or toll free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the second half of the program. Here is a question that just got called into the studio anonymously. Um, he says just got back into a relationship. But girlfriend keeps holding on to perceptions of him. What does God say about patience and understanding? Anonymous, the one thing I know you don't want to hear right now is what God says about patience and understanding. We're to bear with one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to be patient. We're to be extra patient. Now, in relationship, now here's some of the things that you've got to deal with, Anonymous. Anonymous. Are those old perceptions of you earned perceptions? Now, misperceptions, that's completely different. But if, if you earn those perceptions with bad behavior, um, then sure you're different. Sure you're different. It's okay to to talk to her. Um, the best thing you can do with the girlfriend, I'm, again, I'm assuming a Christian relationship. If it's not, then... Um, you're unequally yoked one or or both of you I don't know but um, talk to her read the Bible together that's how God can knit your heart together you can't do it the way the world does it so show her you're different when she accuses you of something and you were guilty at one time but you're different now because of Christ praise the Lord but you can look at her and say you know what I earned that And I'm sorry, but if you just watch my life, I want to show you that I'm a new person. That I'm walking with Jesus, I'm a new person. And one of the ways that you can show her that you're a new person is by being patient. You know, when we are guilty of messing up, and then we claim to be repentant, we demonstrate that we're not telling the truth about our repentance, whether or not it's genuine when we want people just to get over it can't you see that I'm different instead as many times you have to just say you know what I earned that and I'm sorry that I've treated you that way in the past but here's what I know I'll do now because I'm walking with Jesus I want to walk with Jesus together so just watch me and then set an example of godliness I know this is repetitive but That's, it's so important. That's why I'm repeating it. Spend time in the Word with your girlfriend. Regularly pray with her. That's the only way you can demonstrate beyond any doubt that you're different. The Spirit will convict her. So be patient and continue to be patient. Pray for her. Um, If she refuses to get rid of those old perceptions, maybe this is a relationship that's not from the Lord at all. But see, as a believer now, anonymous, you can ask God these questions. So get in the Word with your girlfriend and see if that doesn't change things. It's living and active, His Word is. And if we'll let Him He'll speak to us. He'll encourage us. He'll strengthen us. And I know I said it before the break, but we'll also have that transformed life that is a result of new thinking in the Word of God. And if this is a relationship that God wants, then you'll see that it works. The only other thing I want to say to you is make sure Now you're back in a relationship. Make sure that the relationship is pure sexually. You can't ask God to help you if, in fact, you're not being obedient. And sex has no place in a relationship between boyfriend and girlfriend, unmarried people, period. Thank you. 3409585, we have a caller who just called in, said, was God upset when the Pope changed the Jewish Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? Caller You need to get your history right. Um, The Jewish Sabbath wasn't changed by the Pope. The Sabbath was changed into a day of worship by the Apostle Paul and by Peter, by the Apostles. All you have to do is read your New Testament, caller, and you can find out that the um, early church, the first century church, Jewish converts, by the way. They celebrated Sunday, the first day of the week, in honor of the resurrection. So be careful with your facts. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're a Christian as well. And when we just read something on the Internet and repeat it as though it was true, that displeases God. So it wasn't the Pope who changed it. It was Peter and James and Paul and John and the others and there was such a great opportunity to do so because it became the first day of the week that gave us life it was the first day of the week that enabled us to know that everything Jesus said about himself was true so read your Bible read the epistles of Paul and Peter and James, John read the book of Acts and you'll find out that that's when the tradition changed remember the old covenant caller is gone Gentiles were never expected to worship God on the seventh day of the week Jews were expected to worship God on the seventh day This is the cup of the new covenant, Jesus said, written in my blood. Meaning the old was canceled. And the tradition began joyfully celebrating the day of the resurrection, the day the tomb was empty. So please be careful before you're spreading things like that around. 3409585, here is the other question I was talking about, anonymous. Uh, does the Bible say anything about looking at pornography? You know, the, the Greek word that we get our English word pornography from uh, is repeated uh, often in the New Testament. It's the word pornea. And it means, uh, it's sort of a loose definition of all sexually immoral types of behavior and activity. So, in that sense it does. It doesn't anticipate that we're going to have um pornography in some cases real-time pornography available on a big computer screen for us to distort what sex is supposed to be but it is sexually immoral behavior um and it needs to be stopped so the bible says flee from sexual immorality The Bible says to walk in holiness, to walk in the light, because Jesus is the light. And I think that's as clear as it can possibly be. So, if you're looking for a Bible verse that says, Thou shalt not look at sexual images on a computer screen, it's not going to say that, but the Bible from cover to cover talks about sexual purity. 340-9585, Three four zero ninety is a question from Drew. Um, Pastor Ron, greetings and happy Lord's birthday to you and Paula. Thank you for that, Drew. Uh, side note, the Lord has blessed me and my family immediately by giving us two healthy, identical twin boys, courtesy of my daughter. Uh, they were born a week ago. Praise the Lord God Almighty. Drew, congratulations. Thank you for that. I can't wait. Please send uh, Paula and me a picture. We would love to hear it. He says, here's my question. In Romans 13.1, it says that God places those he chooses into positions of authority. So am I to assume that he controls events that allow people like Putin and Trump to gain the highest seats of power in their respective countries? You've often said that God doesn't cause anything, but knows what will happen in everyone's life. Is there a contradiction between the passage and what you teach? Please explain, Drew. Drew, I can do that. Romans 13, about submitting to government, he's not talking about the people. Um, God didn't vote for Donald Trump Uh, in Russia. God didn't vote for Putin. Nobody gets to vote for anybody but him, but he's talking about the authority figures are placed there by God, not the individual people. God's not a Republican or a Democrat. So God gives us, and, and this is sort of a principle that we can learn uh, from reading First and Second Chronicles in particular, but God gives people the, the, the leadership that they deserve, the leadership they want. It goes all the way back to Saul when they wanted a king, and, and Samuel begged them not to, not to turn to a king rather than letting God be their king. The people didn't agree. So from the beginning of time, we've got the leadership that we deserve. But Romans 13 does not say, nor does it even hint, that God is the one who voted for or put Donald Trump. Did he know Trump was going to win? Of course he did. But men are evil, governments are evil, but the institution of government is important because we have to have laws we have to have order and without government there wouldn't be an order imagine just in the neighborhood where you live if at a busy corner there were no stop signs or no street lights well government's function is to keep the flow of life going and to do so peacefully that's why we're told to live at peace as much as we're able to do it we're to live quiet lives lives that can honor the lord so uh, drew divorce the the um, position of authority from the person in authority because God established the position and we're to respect the position even though it's hard sometimes we still as Christians have a responsibility to do so but we also have to understand that the men well, let's just say they're a lot less than perfect. So I hope that makes sense to you, Drew. It's very, very important that we understand that God doesn't cause things. His sovereignty isn't causative. It's more predictive. He knows everything that's going to happen. He uses everything that's going to happen. He will use uh, Donald Trump, for example, whether whatever your feelings are about Donald Trump. He's going to use Donald Trump to accomplish his will. We saw an example of that recently when the capital of Israel and the American embassy, um, was declared to be headed to Jerusalem, the rightful capital, the city of David. That's God using the people in power to accomplish his will, setting the stage for the things to come yet in the future. Now, let me say one other thing. Andrew, this isn't on you. This is just in general. We who are Christians, we need to act honestly as it relates to, to our, our leaders. You know, when um, President Obama was in office, Christians said horrible, horrible things about him. And we never should have. We should respect him and pray for him. Doesn't mean we have to agree with him. Doesn't mean we have to vote for him. Doesn't mean we even have to like him. But every single Christian should have been praying for his salvation on a very regular basis. Well, now that we have a Republican president in, and this president is being trashed by everybody, many people that voted for him are ashamed of the fact that now they did. But we still need to respect the office, and that's been lost with this barrage of negative media. It doesn't matter what he does, good or bad, it's going to get blasted. And with social media, the news travels much faster. My point is this, as Christians, we can't get caught up in that. The more you disagree with our president's policies, the more you ought to be praying for him. The stronger your opinions are about him, the more you ought to be praying for him. It's very, very important. Thank you. I appreciate the question, Drew. And congratulations on your twin grandsons. Praise the Lord. 3409585. is an anonymous question that was sent in via email. A co-worker told me that Jesus was a member of the Essenes, a religious denomination or sect of Judaism like the Pharisees and Sadducees, and I told him I would look into that, but I was doubtful that Jesus subscribed to any religious organization, and I went on to tell him that Jesus is God, and God wrote the law to show his people their need for a savior meaning he wouldn't need a certain interpretation of the law um, through a religious sect because he knew what the spirit of the law was anyway. My co-worker said maybe he wasn't a scene, but it's possible that the sect of Judaism he was raised in. um, I'm sorry, let me reread this. My co-worker said maybe he wasn't an Essene, but it's probable that the sect of Judaism he was raised in. Again, I shared my doubt, but I told him I would ask you. So I have a few questions. Would a rabbi have needed any type of certification from a sect to become a rabbi. Also, where did this school of thought that Jesus was in a scene come from? Lastly, are they mentioned in the Bible? Um, uh, Anonymous, uh, the uh, uh, rabbis, we, we, we didn't have, there weren't credentials like there are now. You know, people go to Bible college or seminary, they graduate and they get a certification that says they're now qualified to do this. It wasn't that way. Um, In Jesus' day, and and it was this way, by the way, for much of church history, um, people learned and were prepared for ministry by sitting under active ministers. Now, Jesus, from the time he was 12, we're told he was only about his father's business. So there's no way that he was raised. This was God. This was uh, God in human flesh. He had no sin nature. So please tell your friend or your co-worker that he needs to study who Jesus is. Read about his upbringing in the Bible. At 12 years old, don't you know, Mother, I have to be about my father's business. So Jesus was led and taught only by the Holy Spirit. Now, it is absurd to think, it is absurd to think, That Jesus was influenced by any teacher when he himself was the teacher and the author of the law. Over and over in the synagogues, Jesus confounded them. What did the people say? We've never heard a man speak like this man speaks. And they were amazed by what he taught. Not only by what he did, but they were amazed by what he taught. And all one has to do to understand that Jesus' influence was only heavenly is to read the Sermon on the Mount from the Beatitudes on Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 because Jesus is blowing their minds with what he's telling them the law was about. You have heard that it was said but I say unto you where does this man get this authority? So he was reading the law, but he was also interpreting it. Why? Because he wrote it. So your co-worker is looking for reasons not to believe or not to obey. It's just that simple. One other word, and this always makes people angry with me, but I, I for the life of me can't understand why. Jesus gave us book of how we're to live it doesn't matter that Paul as Saul of Tarsus sat under the most famous teacher in Israel Gamaliel it doesn't matter that there were different sects of Pharisees and Sadducees because Jesus came to shed light and to bring clarity on these matters so it's very important that we read critically and you know, if your friend or co-worker can find anything else that's wrong with the Bible, if he can pick it apart well then that's what he needs to do but the problem is he can't and so what he's doing, he's looking for ways to circumvent what Jesus said to do it's just that simple So where did the school of thought that Jesus was in the scene come from? From the same place that it's always come from, people who didn't want to be obedient, people that want to take the opportunity to disagree with God. Can you imagine for a moment, Anonymous, standing before Jesus, the creator of everything that's been made, and saying, well, you know, I didn't agree with you on this. Imagine what that would be like. We need to be careful and walk softly around these kind of issues. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question that's that's timely for this time of season. Uh, What should parents tell their children about Santa Claus? Okay. I'm going to hear everybody turn off the radio. Uh, A parent should never lie to their children. What parents should tell their children about Santa Claus is that he's made up and that the real giver of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift is Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is. It's not about Santa. It's not about presents. And the earlier you communicate this to them, the better off they're going to be. Now, I can hear a bunch of people saying, oh, you're taking the fun out of Christmas. What's the problem with telling people about this? It's a lie. It's not true. And Jesus said the devil's the author of lies. Now, I want you to think about something for a moment. And this happened in my own home with my sister. When she found out Santa wasn't real, she was so upset. But it had the effect of wondering what other things my parents were lying about. Paul has talked about that for years. If you tell me is real and he's not, and then you tell me Jesus is real, how do I know that's not a lie? So the truth will set you free. What did Jesus say to Pilate? Everyone on the side of truth listens to me, and Pilate response, what is truth? So please, this Christmas season, if you have told your children, I'm talking only to Christians here, if you've told your children that Santa's real, and you go through with the charade and with the fantasy, please sit your children down and tell them that there's one greater than Santa. His name is Jesus Christ. And don't confuse the two. The messages just should not be mixed And that's what we've fallen into. We've sent mixed messages for so long. Were we ruined because our parents lied to us about Santa? No. But let me ask this. What tradition would you rather fall under? The world's or God's? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect, acceptable will will be. So tell your children the truth about Santa. I don't think we have time for another phone call, so we'll take a question from Marty. Marty says, if God loves everyone, does it mean that everyone is going to heaven? Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. In that one statement, the most famous of all New Testament verses, Marty, God demonstrated his love by sending his only son. In other words, we're all on the way to hell. And Jesus came to rescue us. But only those who believe are not going to perish and enjoy everlasting life in the presence of God. The rest of us, because we're made in the image of God, we're eternal beings, we're going to live somewhere. God honors the choice we make in life, in death. If we don't want anything to do with God on this earth, then we won't have to be forced to have anything to do with God forever and ever and ever. So God does love everyone, and He's given everyone an opportunity to go to heaven. But Jesus himself said that the road to heaven is narrow, and few find it. And yet the road to destruction, to hell, is wide and well-traveled. So what we have to understand here is that God so desperately wants us to spend forever with him that we literally have to go over his son's dead body to to, to go to hell. So no, God doesn't just give everybody a free pass. And yes, he does love you, Marty, and everyone that you're sharing Jesus with. So I hope that helps. I think we're inside the last minute. Let me just mention again tonight here at Calvary Chapel. You can watch it at CalvarySA.com. if you can't get here. Right, the, the crowds always get really small this time of year. And I was telling Paul today a little frustrated because these are some of the best studies. I get to do uh, Saul of Tarsus' conversion to Paul on Friday. And uh, people are going to be out shopping, and I understand that. But what great Bible studies tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 6 through 16, should be really, really encouraging Bible study. And Paula will be live in studio with us tomorrow on the day day edition program. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh telling you to go tell somebody Jesus loves them. See you tomorrow.